Well, welcome back to the Jesus series. How many of you are glad to be here? Say amen. amen. I think that's a 50% majority, 51% probably majority. We're glad, we're glad you're here. We really are. How many of you are watching March Madness? Raise your hand if you're watching March Madness. How many of you are like crazy over March Madness? Would you raise your hand? Oh, I'll see some of you. I see that hand, Phil. I know you'd have to be crazy about March Madness. One of the fun things about March Madness is watching people go mad. Now, the truth is that if you don't know what it is, then I, I don't know where you've been living the last 30 years. But the bottom line is it's the final tournament of the NCAA basketball season, and uh, it's fun to watch. But what's even more fun is to watch the madness of people as they watch the tournament. I've got three clips I want to show you. I want to show you what March Madness does to people. So let's watch the first clip I've got here. <laughs> that is an old man dancing. It makes old men dance. And then secondly, let's see the second one. It makes normal people otherwise put hexes on people who are shooting free throws. I don't know what they're doing. They're trying to disrupt the free throw shooter by casting a spell of some kind, and then it makes little boys cry. Look at this one right here. <laughs> That's March Madness for you. How many of you can identify with one of those? Would you raise your hand if you can? All right. Well, I want to talk to you something about about something that's even more mad, more wild, more traumatic and dramatic than March Madness. And that is Jesus as he meets with the powers of darkness, casting out demons from people's lives, disrupting organized religion, and in the eyes of many becoming a rogue leader when in reality he was bringing everybody back to the truth of the kingdom of God. If you have your Bibles this morning, would you hold them up and say, Jesus, would you do that? All right, we're all about what Jesus is doing as we walk through the book of Luke. Turn to Luke chapter 4, verse 31 today. And uh, as we turn to that text, let's look at what Jesus is doing after he makes this amazing messianic uh, prophecy and claims that he is the Messiah in Luke 4, 18. He says, this passage is being fulfilled in your very presence. He talks about how the eyes of the blind are now receiving sight. He sets the captives free. He, deliver, he liberates those in bondage, and he proclaims the favorable year of the Lord. So he's made these bold, extravagant claims, and now he's standing in front of the people in ministry in verse 31. Let's stand together as we read verse 31 uh, all the way down through about verse 35 or 6. Here's what it says. Luke chapter 4, verse 31. He came down to Capernaum, the city of Galilee. Now, if you remember, Jesus has proclaimed in his own synagogue where he normally worshiped what's spoken of in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. He said, this messianic prophecy is fulfilled in your sight today. And then he begins talking about the fact that the kingdom of God is not just for the Jews, but for all. And they're so angry, they drive him to the side of a mountain to a cliff intending to throw him off. And the Bible says Jesus turns and walks through the crowd. Some supernatural manifestation of power moved these people out of the way. We don't know what it was, but Jesus by his power walks through them. And then it says in verse 31, he came down to Capernaum, a, di a different city, a city in Galilee. And he was teaching them on the Sabbath and they were amazed at his teaching for his message was with authority. Keep that in mind as we read. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Let us alone. What business have we with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. 
Read on in verse 35. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in the midst of the people, he came out of him without doing him any harm. And the amazement came upon them all, and they began talking to one another, saying, What is this message? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. I've said this before to you. I'll say it again. When an imperfect religion meets a perfect man, they see him as rogue. But this Messiah has come to set the kingdom out in terms of clear priorities. That's where we are in the Jesus series. Father, speak to us today powerfully, personally, corporately, as a church, as small groups, about our responsibilities and our privileges in the kingdom. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated if you would. I'm really excited about this message today because it has so much for us. Jesus has come to redefine religion. How he's come to reveal the true kingdom. We said last week that Jesus clarified the kingdom in many ways as we saw that passage in Luke 14 and following. I told you four things. That Jesus said this to the people in that synagogue. He said the kingdom is for every person and every nation on the face of the earth. It is not ethnocentric. It's not just for one group of people. In the Jewish days, in the days that Jesus spoke to those Jewish people, they were thinking that God was only going to come and bring his Messiah to them alone. And so their view of everyone else was an inferior view. They didn't like Samaritans. They didn't like Gentiles. They didn't like anyone else. But Jesus came saying the gospel is not ethnocentric. It's for all people everywhere. Now, for those of us in the room today, we ought to be really glad about that because as far as I know, almost all of us in the room are Gentiles and not Jewish by our heritage. There may be a few of us in this room who are Jewish by heritage, but most of us are Gentiles. And by the Jewish way of thinking, we would be far, far from God forever. But Jesus came to say, no, the kingdom of God is for everyone. Secondly, the kingdom is offered to hurting people, people who don't have the racks together yet, people who don't have it all together, people who haven't figured out how to do that perfect thing on the outside, no matter what's going on on the inside. It's for people that are hurting, people that are broken, people that are disillusioned, people that are, are, are disappointed in everything they've seen of God. Jesus said, I'm coming as Messiah, and I'm going to tell them and show them that God is real. The second thing of priority is that it's not political. The kingdom is not political. It's not a top-down change exerted by those who are the leaders of religion, but it's in the heart, and that's the fourth thing. This kingdom is a kingdom of the heart. The change is going to take place from the heart outward when the Holy Spirit begins to grab a hold of people. And at the Jesus baptism, we remember John the Baptist saying, when he baptized Jesus, I baptize you with water, John the Baptist said, but the one coming after me is greater than I am. He'll baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. So when Jesus touches our lives, he does baptize us in the Holy Spirit and from the inside out, change begins to take place. That's the kingdom and Jesus continues to teach us the true kingdom. Three things today that this text will teach us. First of all, the true kingdom fulfills prophetic promise. Mark it down. The true kingdom and the true Messiah fulfills prophetic statements, prophetic promises. 
We have a promise-keeping God, and so therefore the Messiah must be a promise-keeper and a covenant-keeper and a prophecy-keeper. He said, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, let's go back to Luke chapter 4, verse 18. What Jesus read that day in the synagogue are these words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. That's an amazing statement. That's a statement of supernaturality. In other words, if this Messiah can do all these things, if he really does give sight to the blind, if he really does set the captives free, if he really does release people from spiritual and physical bondage, this has got to be the Messiah. So let's read this text and find out, is Jesus who he really says he is? Now here's why this is so important for you today. Because if Jesus cannot deliver the blind to have sight, if he cannot be able to set the oppressed free and liberate those in bondage, then you don't have to follow him. But if he can give sight to the blind, and if he can set the captives free, if he can raise up a lame man, and if he preaches good news as him being the way to God the Father, you must follow him because he is the Messiah. This is an important question, an important moment for those who would later on doubt Jesus. He's giving demonstration that he is truly the Son of God. And even the demons testify of that in this passage. And so we have Jesus entering to the synagogues, and this amazing things begin to take place. If you go back to the text where we were reading in verses 31 and following, you'll see something that we don't often see in a normal church service. In verse 33, there was a man possessed by the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, let us alone, what business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now try to imagine yourself in that nice, quiet synagogue on that day. The men sitting on one side and the women sitting on the other side. You know, this is order, it's quiet. The children are not even allowed in. They're on the outside, separated by a wall and a curtain to keep them out of the synagogue where the main business is. And so the, the, the habit is for, for where the priest to begin to read or the scribes to read the text. And Jesus had, has read the text in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. But this scenario is quiet. It's orderly, and all of a sudden, someone stands up and starts screaming, and with a blood-curling scream, a demonically inspired scream, at Jesus, calling him the Son of God. Can you imagine what would happen in a room like this? Well, some of you would get out of the chairs, and being Texas, some of you would take your firearm out of its holster. I wouldn't recommend anybody do that in this room, but Jesus spoke to the demons who left and all became calm. The power of God on display in a moment and in a word. First, let me just make an observation. I am so glad my Messiah could make a demon flee with just a word, aren't you? I am so glad evil cannot even hope to achieve victory over Christ. I want you to notice there was not this climactic struggle between good and evil we often imagine. There was not a wrestling match between Jesus and the man who was demon-possessed. Uh, there is not this supernatural battle where people are, are, are running into each other and blood and guts are flying everywhere. There's none of that. There's simply God in the flesh speaking to the powers of darkness and boom, out he goes. The reality is that's what kind of Savior we have. 
There had been nothing that could prevent demonic activity like this until Jesus came. For hundreds of years, people had had all kinds of problems, but Jesus stands up, says, I am fulfilling this calling of Messiah. Prophecies fulfilled in me, and immediately the demon begins to speak out, and all of a sudden, Jesus demonstrates that power. Two words here are very important in the people's comments about Jesus, the word authority and the word power. If you look at the word authority in the original scriptures, the original words of the Greek share that this is a delegated power. Clearly power delegated by God to Jesus. Now Jesus is God, so it's very easy to make that extrapolation. But the other word is the word power, which is the word dunamis. It's the word where we get our English word dynamite, explosive power. Both these words are used only in sentences where there's a massive display of supernatural power. So what's happening is Jesus is demonstrating something other than simply a demon leaving. He's demonstrating this amazing supernatural power that only the Messiah, only the Messiah could have commanded. And the people are in awe. I don't know what you think about demon possession and demon oppression, but let me just tell you today that it's very real. It's very real. What's happening in the room on that day is the difference between being squirted by a water hose in your backyard and getting pushed back a little bit by that and being hit by a fire hydrant, which completely blows you away. This is God's power completely unleashed on demonic activity and on a man possessed by a demon. I I wouldn't say that I'm an expert in, in the demonic realm, but I've had more experience than I ever asked for. I remember when I was a young pastor in Oklahoma, 27, 28 years of age, one of the first times I ever dealt face-to-face with a demon-possessed man. I was called by three guys in our church who'd been visiting a man. The man said he wanted some help. He wanted some spiritual help. He wanted prayer. And it wasn't long before these three men visiting this one man realized this man is filled with demons. There's a horrific smell in the room. When I got there, his eyes were crazy. His personality was weird. Different voices were coming out of, his, out of his throat, out of his mouth. He was suicidal in tendency. He was trying to kill himself, and the guys were trying to restrain him. At one point, I remember seeing him seated on the couch, and he said he was going to get up and take a knife and slit his own throat, and, and this unbelievable thing was unfolding. And we were trying to prevent him from standing up, and the four of us could not prevent him from standing up. I have to confess, at that moment, I realized I was in a time and a place where no seminary class had ever prepared me for. (laughs) Just for those of you that don't know, there is no demonology one-on-one in Baptist seminaries. (laughs) But I had read the Bible, and I had read the Gospels, and I knew that everywhere that Jesus commanded demons, they had to flee. They had to do something in obedience to what he said. And I didn't know that the power wasn't in any of us, but it was in the name of Jesus Christ. At that moment, I did the only thing I could think of, the only thing I could think of. Now, I, I want to chalk this up not to education. I want to chalk it up not to uh, wisdom. I want to chalk it up to sheer desperation. But I said to that man, in the name of Jesus, sit down, fully expecting that nothing would happen. Now, this man shot down onto that couch like somebody's divine fist had popped him in the chest, and down he went on that couch. And he remained docile for the rest of the night where we worked with him and helped him through all that had happened in his life. I want to tell you, the power of God is real. 
And the power of God is so real that Jesus Christ was demonstrating this to all in the synagogue about problems no one else could handle to demonstrate that the Messiah's power is there and to demonstrate that he wants people free. Now I want you to hear this today. No matter what your problems, no matter how deep your situation, no matter how dark and demonic the problems you've experienced are, Jesus Christ wants you free, number one. Number two, Jesus Christ can set you free by his own power. I think it's incredibly important for the church to know today that we have the power that Jesus Christ has given us to promise freedom to the captives and to those who are in bondage. Aren't you glad that God has promised that to those who are in bondage? As I wish Jesus fulfilling prophetic promises, he's gonna go on and defeat sin on the cross. He'll go on and conquer death by rising from the dead. And then he'll turn around and he'll look at people and he'll say, if you believe in me, you will live even though you die. I will give you eternal life. I will forgive your sin. I will give you everything you can ever hope to have. And that's why we say we're real people with a real hope and a real life because of Jesus Christ. And Jesus came to fulfill prophetic promises. He's Messiah because only he could do that. But secondly, we find this unfolding. The true kingdom confronts the dark and embraces the denied. I want you to let that sink in for just a moment. The true kingdom confronts the dark and embraces the denied. Go back to verse 38. The Bible says after that incident, Jesus got up and left the synagogue and entered Simon's home. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked him to help her. Literally, this is just across the street from the synagogue in Capernaum. A few years ago when Kim and I traveled to Israel, we were in that place where the synagogue was. There are still the archaeological remains of that synagogue and still the remains of uh, Peter's mother-in-law's home. And it's just like across the street and down the block just a little ways. And so Jesus literally opens up the doors of the synagogues, walks through them over to the house where Peter's mother-in-law lives, and she is sick according to the Scripture. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked him to help her. Standing over her, he rebuked the fever, and it left her, and she immediately got up and waited on them. While the sun was setting, notice what happens next, all those who had any were also who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And laying his hands on each one of them, he was healing them. Demons also were coming out of many, shouting, you are the son of God. But rebuking them, he would not allow them to speak because they knew him to be the Christ. Now imagine this. He comes out of the synagogue, across the street, where everybody else is. And he begins to minister to those that would not be able to go into the synagogues. Another picture of Jesus coming outside the walls of religion, going to where people's hurting needs were. He moves out to move towards. The word unclean is used here throughout the text, and it will be all the way through the book of Luke. And I think you need to have just a moment to think about that word unclean. It says unclean spirits. But the word unclean was more than just referring to unclean spirits. By the way, there are no such things as unclean and clean demons. There's only unclean. So the idea of the word unclean does not have to do with the nature of the demons, but how people were seen who had demons. They were seen as unclean, just as people who were sick were seen as unclean. 
People who had leprosy were seen as unclean. In fact, there were various stages of, of the human nature and the human cycle that we all have that at various times we were seen as unclean. In the Old Testament scripture, the view of people were if they didn't have it all together, if they weren't completely well, if they didn't have a totally explainable life, they were unclean. And so this unclean mentality enters in to this picture at this moment. Jesus is going to the unclean. Let that, let that center in on your minds. In John chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, there's even this instance of the disciples asking Jesus about a man who has blindness. In fact, in chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, it says, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? We wouldn't think to ask that question. They assumed that there was sin that caused blindness. There was a stigma attached to anyone that was blind or deaf or mute or leprous or in some way possessed by a demon. They're unclean. They can't come to the synagogue. They can't be around anyone else. And Jesus, the Messiah, goes to them. It ought to be a loud statement to the church of Jesus Christ. We are not just a group of people who have it all together. In fact, none of us have it all together. We reach out to the hurting and the poor and the blind and the lame and those far from God. Those who everyone else considers them unclean, but we see them as people who will one day be clean in Jesus Christ. We've got to break down walls. That's what Jesus is doing with the people, the religious people of that day. And then... We read it a second time as we read that text. Even the demons are admitting the lordship of Jesus Christ. Don't you think it's interesting that the demons who are in these individuals are saying, what have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazarene, Jesus, the Son of God? At this point, the Pharisees had not embraced Jesus as Messiah. At this point, the scribes had not embraced Jesus as Messiah. At this point, the brothers of Jesus conspired to put him to death at some point before the cross. They did not confess that he was Messiah. Even John the Baptist appeared to have a question about that. In John chapter 9, he wasn't sure that he was Messiah at that point, it appeared. But the demons of darkness say, we know who this, who this person is. We know he is God in the flesh. The Bible says in James chapter 4, even the demons believe and shudder because they know the unbridled power of God Almighty. I think that's an interesting point today. The truth is, if you're an atheist or agnostic, you're, you're saying that even the demons know more than you know. And if you're reluctant to embrace Jesus as Lord, you're saying that even the powers of darkness have figured this out, and you have not, for some reason, figured this out. Let me, let me hope today, let me pray today, that you'll break through all that and say, I've got evidence today that he is the Messiah, that he is Lord, that he is the Son of God, and that he can set me free. We need to have that. The true kingdom confronts the dark and embraces the denied. There are other passages in the Gospels where Jesus is going to reach out and hug a leper seen as unclean. One of the most amazing experiences of my life happened about 15, 16 years ago when I went to India, I think for the second time. <clears throat> the first time I'd gone, I'd seen some lepers. And uh, if you've never seen leprosy before, it's quite shocking to see how leprosy literally is a disease of the skin and nerves where the skin is eaten away. And so there are grotesque 
manifestations of leprosy and results of leprosy by the loss of limbs and open wounds and even eating the face up. But the second time I went, after having seen that the first time, Spiros Odiades, my mentor, was there. Spiros had started leprosy ministry in India back in 1967. And so I was taking him on the last trip of his lifetime, 84 years of age, and we were taking him to see all the ministries he had begun. And one of those was a leper, a leper colony because these people were the untouchables in India. You couldn't come near them. There was a fear involved in that. There was a, a reluctance involved in that. There was a stigma attached to all that. But because Jesus had hugged lepers, Spiral said, we should show compassion on everyone, especially those that are ostracized by society more than any other. And we were literally in a tent with more than a thousand lepers for a service where we preached the gospel, where we gave invitations. I've never seen people worship with such abandon. I've never seen people eat up the word of God more than these people ate up the word of God. Most of them were illiterate. And so when we shared the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, they were, they were hanging on every word. They were yearning and reaching out best they could to God. I saw people clap hands that had no fingers, just nubbed on the end of their arms. People that were blind, that were, were strained to hear every word. And I remember when we concluded the service, we were trying to make our way back to the car. Spiros looked at me and said, this will take a couple of hours to get to the car. I had no idea what he was talking about until we got off that stage and began to make our way to the car, literally from here to the parking lot. And those people came around us in a crowd and they wanted to be touched and they wanted to be hugged because they were untouchable their whole lives. And so we hugged them and touched them, loved them, drew them close. And Spiros got in the car with me a couple of hours later, exhausted. And here's what he said to me. He said, Pastor, Compassion wins every time. Compassion wins every time. He said, don't ever be reluctant to hug those that are unclean, those that are far from God. Don't ever be reluctant to reach out to someone that others say they don't deserve compassion. Compassion wins every time because this was the way of our Lord. That's how he worded it. This was the way of our Lord. You know, church, let me say this to you as believers and as the church of Jesus Christ, the true kingdom confronts evil and embraces the denied. For us to be like Jesus, we have to be willing to do that. Now, you may not know any lepers in your part of town, but you know some untouchables. And you know some that are far from God. And you know people that don't feel welcome in a normal church service. But see, we, we are those like Jesus who go outside the walls. We are those like Jesus who have the ability to love people in the name of Jesus Christ, not because they have something to give back to us, but because we have something to give to them. And that's what Jesus was doing. And I want to urge you that the confrontation and compassion go hand in hand with your life, confront evil, but love the hurting. As individuals, we have to do that to follow Jesus. As a church, we have to do that to follow Jesus. Then finally, finally, this text tells us the true kingdom has a divine propulsion to reach every person. A divine propulsion. For me, the word propulsion means that something internal is pushing us, propelling us to reach people outside the walls. Notice what Jesus says here. He's going to say it several times in the Gospels. Verse 42, when day came, <clears throat> Jesus left and went to a secluded place. 
The crowds were searching for him and came to him and tried to keep him from going away from them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other, the other cities also. By the way, the word preach there is the word for our evangelism. It simply means to tell the good news. I must tell the good news of the kingdom of God to other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. Verse 44. So he kept on preaching or telling the good news in the synagogues of Judea. The emphasis of the Greek word there is not to stand behind the podium and expound God's word. The emphasis there is to tell good news, literally transliterated evangelism. Jesus is making a startling statement to every synagogue he goes to. It's not just for you. It's for everyone. It's not just for those that are used to being assembled together. It's for those on the outside. And I must keep going. I'm not going to stay in my comfort zone. I'm going to keep going out to further and further fringes so that more and more people can know me as Lord and Savior. It would have been, have been tempting for Jesus to stay among the adoring, among those that loved him, who saw his demonstration of power, who followed him, who were willing to do anything for him, but he said, I've got to keep moving because the kingdom is attractive and powerful and difficult to resist because people are being transformed and more must be transformed. So I'm saying to you today, the real kingdom presses outward to more and more people because the world must know. Did you hear me? The world must know. And at some point, the church has to realize we have this divine calling on our life, a gospel calling on every person that's been born again. You may have a lot of local assignments. You may have a lot of job assignments and work assignments and church assignments. You may have all kinds of responsibilities, but your calling, once you have been saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ, is a gospel calling to all those who have never heard before. Are you with me this morning? It's your calling. Jesus said, I've got to go to other places because they haven't heard the good news. And he went. We have a million reasons why we don't often like to do that. But Jesus is about to multiply his influence by calling disciples, training them, sending them out to do the same thing. In Acts chapter 8, verse 4, the Bible says that after Pentecost fell, the church was under great persecution and the Bible says about that persecution that those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the good news of the gospel, sharing good news with people. Our church should be a church that reaches to every person in our area and around the globe with the good news of this Messiah, Jesus Christ. Because if we don't tell them, no one will. Have this amazing mandate. You know, you never know what's going on in somebody's life when you step up and say, I want to invite you to hear about a man that changed my whole life, the way the woman at the well did. Or when you step up and invite someone to have a gospel conversation with you. You know, it's part of our mission statement. Our mission statement says, under the letters R-E-A-L, very important around the points of the cross, we relate well to God and each other. We must engage those that are far from God. We must adopt new believers in the kingdom and we must lead well. This engage is what Jesus was doing right here. Engaging those without knowledge of Christ. Several weeks ago, one of our teams went out to a home 
to share the gospel. And as they left that home, that person had not come to the door. They didn't answer the door at the moment. And so they left something behind. They later got a phone call. I want you to hear the results of what a few people going to share good news with folks. What happens? You don't know what's going to unfold on the other side of that door. But we found out with this door. Listen to this video. We've been doing Can We Talk for about three years. And in a recent time when we went out, we sent one of our teams out on a Sunday evening and they visited a home and the lady was not there. So they left information on the doorstep and just hung it on her door. And the next day at work, I had a desperate voicemail from a young mom that um, had missed our team that had come by her door. And she was begging for us to come back. And she asked if whoever you were, if you would please come back. I was just praying and asking God to send someone. And um, she said, I'm really considering taking my own life. Mm -hmm. And um, the message went on and you could hear the brokenness and the desperation. And of course, I reached back out and um, couldn't get her. Left a couple of voicemails and just prayed through the day because um, I didn't know what address or where to go. So ended up getting a hold of her later in the day and finding out the desperation that she had. Her kids had been taken from her and um, she was at her wit's end. She had a lot of threats against her life um, from bad decisions she had made and she needed hope. <laughs> and so we went that evening, um, Russell and I went, yeah. and we took another pastor on staff with us and we were able to sit in her living room and share the gospel. And we had been equipped to do this and in such a simple way and we were able to build relationship with her listen to her hurts and be able to share the hope of christ with her and her husband that night yeah the one thing that was uh very evident when we walked in uh that <clears throat> her life was a mess i mean it, it really was uh you could tell even when we got there she was still visibly upset you could tell her she was very distraught uh, in her thinking. Uh, she was there. Her husband at that time when we first got there was not there, but her children were there. And um, even the, the, the sense of just chaos had been going on. And, and it wasn't really until we, we sat down with her uh, and really found out exactly what was going on. And, and, and it's true that she was at the point of, of ending her life. In fact, she told us a story that she was in her bedroom, she was sobbing, and she was crying out pretty much, if, if there's a God, if you're really there, I need you to hear me. I need you to come and rescue me. And it was at that moment that she heard the door, the, the doorbell, a door knock, uh, and she tried to get to the door as quickly as she possibly could, but she didn't make it in time. But there was, there was the bag. And, and the cool part about that is that the fact that there's so many times when, when we go out and we, and we share the gospel with Can We Talk, that we may knock on a door and no one answers. And so we may feel like at that moment that we really didn't do everything we could have done. But by the fact of just leaving information, God can work uh, in mysterious ways. He doesn't necessarily need us, but He allows us to be a part of it. And so because that bag was left, she was able to get a phone number and able to contact uh, Michelle and, and, and allowed us now to be able to be out there sitting in her living room. And, and just to feel the, the just the, 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 it was like I said, just a crazy presence. So as we were able to sit there and, and visiting uh, with this young lady, this young mom, uh, her husband walked in as well. And at, the, at that moment, um, he sat down and we began to, again, it became even more uh, kind of chaotic of, of just the, uh, the, 
stress between the between the couple. Uh, you can tell that they were having some serious issues. But it was so cool to watch and see as as we began to share the gospel through the training that we had with Can We Talk, the peace that came over both of them, both the young lady and the husband, that they were ready to strangle each other to the point that now all of a sudden they were both sitting there and they were listening and their hearts and their ears were open to what we had to say to them. And even further than that, we, after we were able to lead both of them to Christ, yeah. which was so beautiful, yeah. and their teenage son, we were able to connect him to our student ministry at our church. And she has been attending faithfully to our First Jules Espanol ministry and has been ministered to by the families there and the pastor there. And we're just so grateful um, for the influence. There's still a long ways to go, but that was, Can We Talk gave us that on-ramp yeah. into this young woman's life and it brought hope in a way that if we wouldn't have gotten outside the walls of our church we may have never reached this young woman. Some people say that I, as a pastor I'm crazy about Camry Talk and they'd be right I am crazy about Camry Talk but it's because of things like that. It's because we reach out to people that will never come into these doorways otherwise. It's also because it helps equip us to do what Jesus told us to do. It's not the only way, but it's a great way. And here's what I want to say to you today. That God wants you to be a part of the kingdom work. Today, if you want to be equipped to share the gospel, to, to learn to encounter all that we do, we can help do that with you. Let's go to Guest Central at the end of our service. Just say, I want to be a part of something like that. I, I want to know how to share my faith. I want to know how to have gospel conversations. I want to know how to engage people that are far from God, and we can help you do that. And those of you that have been through this before, help us have a massive reach into our community. The propulsion of the gospel is inside of us because it's the kingdom of God. But as I close today, let me just say there are those of you in this room that may have been particularly convicted about this about the fact that the kingdom confronts evil. And you may know instances in your life where evil is dominating. If you want to be free, I'm here to tell you today, you can be free of the evil that dominates your life in the name of Jesus Christ. Others may say, you know, I'm so far out. I'm such an outsider. I've done so many things. I'm one of those untouchables in a sense. And let me just say to you, you're not so far out. Nobody can be so far out that they're outside the reach of God. Now, this church right here will reach out and embrace you and say, we love you in the name of Jesus. God has an amazing, amazing plan for you. He set his son to die on the cross for you. That's love. That's incredible love. Over these next few moments, I'm going to ask our, our prayer counselors to come to the front right now and turn and face the congregation. Just come on up if you would now. And as they come, I want you to be able to see them. I know that as you leave in just a few moments at my dismissal prayer, that many of you will make your way to your cars and go about your day. But some of you need to stay and pray. Some of you need to stay and ask questions. Then all of you today, I'm going to urge you, take the exhortation to reach out to people around you seriously. Invite people to our Easter services. Pray for them. Take their name and put it in the cross. Take them to the cross and pray for them. Make it a, a serious, serious commitment that God is going to use you in the life of someone else that would not know Christ if it weren't for you. 
And let God use you in a powerful way. I'm amazed at how often God takes over when we take those first few steps. Take those steps. God takes over. And you'll see that He'll empower you to do it. If you're a guest today, I want to invite you to our guest our guest reception area right outside the center exit doors across the hallway. I'd love to personally meet you for just a few moments today. Let's stand together for our closing word of prayer. Father, I thank you today that we have a glimpse of Jesus, fully Messiah, fully God in the flesh, fully confronting evil, fully embracing the hurting. And Father, so many in this room today need that touch. And I ask you to not allow them to leave without taking it another step for prayer for a decision that needs to be made. Some have never given their lives to you as Lord and Savior, and I ask you today to help them see you are the only way and truth and life. And as they ask those questions of our prayer partners, Father, allow them to get those answers. And then as we leave today, as we leave to give, and as we leave to serve you, as we lead, leave to pray for those and reach out to those, Father, allow your Holy Spirit just to be with us as we go. Thank you, Father, as we go out to serve you that you've got an incredible plan for us as your church. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.